0: Actually, just as we get in this, so I just want to mention something that we've been looking at and talking about for a while, and that's over over the summer period, we've actually been talking about moving church forward an hour, and like starting at 5, so from the 18th there, after we do the carols night, over through January, and then obviously see how that goes into the future, but what that gives us is it gives us the chance then to do church, and then hang out after a while, we've still got some sunlight hours, and... Um, go to one of our houses where we can do some food and go for a swim and um, games and whatever else and just actually connect and, and chill out rather than blessing Hungry Jacks uh, with, our, with our finance there. But actually give a chance to build community, give a chance over the holiday period there. It's really neat that we've got um, our kiddies hanging out, but also what we'll, that'll give a chance is in this slot as well. For those of us with, with young children, to bring them along and get them used to church, and, and I, I thank you for this, this generation that loves and hangs out with our kids. And it's, I really enjoy um, the fact that we have generations that connect together and, and and do that. I watch my nephews, and um, through through Sousa's family, we ha- I think it's fifteen grandkids on that side or something at the moment. Yeah, number sixteen's on the way. Average is out about four each, and the oldest is about. I don't know. The oldest is 10 or 11, but what they do is they set the culture and they grab like the two-year-olds, and as soon as we all get together, they grab the two-year-olds and include them and play with them. And, and I just really love how they set the culture through there, and I, I really appreciate you guys how you set the culture and hang out with all generations and with those that are not as cool as you, with those that are more cool than you, and all that, anyway, I want to read something I haven't got in my notes, but Judges 3 um, gives this great little story, and um, Judges 3 from 14, if you want to follow, or if you just want to listen, that's okay as well. Israel- the Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab. Susan, and I, are obviously, Susan's pregnant, we're going to have a daughter, we're, we're just looking for more names. I can guarantee this, Eglon is not the name we're going to name our daughter. Okay, that that's that's one we're just ruling out now. In case you were getting excited about that as I read it, girl, I know it's the first time you've ever heard that name, probably, other than over five hundred times you've read the Bible cover to cover. But tonight, it's the first time you've heard it. Anyway, Eglon, king of Moab, for eighteen years, and again the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and He gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera the Benjamite, and the Israelites sent him with a tribute to Eglon king of Moab. Now, Ehud, we're not naming her Ehud either, uh, had made a double-edged sword about a cubit long. And I've got a little note here that'll tell us how... Oh, that's about 18 inches or 45 centimeters for us in Australia. I don't want to underline that passage. There we go. He he had strapped it to his right thigh under his clothing, and he presented the tribute to Eglon king of Moab who was a very fat man. I love how the NIV has decided that we're going to be politically correct about a whole bunch of other stuff, but Eglon was fat. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way those who had carried it, but on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon and said, Your Majesty, I've got a secret message for you. And the king said to his attendants, Leave us. And as they left, Ehud approached him, and while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace, he said, I've got a message from God for you. And the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade, and his bowels discharged. He pooed himself. Okay, that's what that actually means. Ehud did not pull the... The Bible says some fascinating things. Okay, you've got to read the Bible. There is some funky stuff in there. Ehud did not pull the sword out, and the fat closed in over it. Then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. Isn't it great? Aren't oh, that a really cool thing? Ehud's this man who just delivers Israel in one of the most fascinating ways. It's just really... It's just, he's a king that's so fat, comes in over a sword and relieves himself as that happens. The actual fact is that the Bible goes on and says his attendants gave him time because they heard or could probably smell that he was on the toilet um, while all this was happening. And so they, Ehud was able to get away because his attendance took so long to come in there. But God used this man, Ehud, to deliver Israel. And yet in there, it's fascinating what they use, what God identifies about him. This morning I was talking about, just briefly, about I'm in the forgotten minority group. You can identify this with Sean, can't you? The forgotten minority, Rangers. Yeah, yeah. We are the people who just as soon as we walk outside, our enemy is in the sky over us. I fought with him yesterday and he won. I am just red and sore after being in the sun for four hours. Oh, that is beautiful. No, you're not. That's, that's enough. Anyway, th- there is another minority group that, that often gets overlooked and forgotten about. My wife is one of them. And here is this man's limitation that's marked out for all the world to see. Here he is a left-handed man. Is anyone here left-handed? Who's left-handed now? There's two of you in the room. You, you poor people. See, what happens is, for the rest of us, we write, and it all just makes sense. The lean happens to the right. It, it's all evil, all easy. But I've seen how left-handed people write. They write, and then they write, and they slant it back the wrong way. And then as they write over, their hand goes over the top of it, and it just smudges their writing. All the way through, they, they have challenges, that come on in their life, and here we have this man that's identified, and for some reason, the Bible identifies and says, he's a left-handed man. He was artistic. Autistic. Artistic. Made a good sword. Okay. A double-edged. Okay. Left-handed people are smart. There you go. There you go. All things that I learned right now. Yeah, and you're at the back of the room and I'm at the front, and that's for a reason. <laughs> but I want to say this. It's just that I was mentioning this morning that often we look at the limitations in our lives, but God uses them for opportunity. God used who's left-handedness, which many would see as a limitation, but used the opportunity there to actually create something special but then also have a sword that was positioned on the opposite side so the king's attendants didn't actually search there because they would have searched his left thigh for a sword or a dagger, not his right. And so God uses often our limitations and presents opportunity within them. And so often we look at the things that are wrong with us, look at the things that are lacking and don't notice actually that God is presenting opportunity and things in front of us. I want to read a story tonight, just build on what we were talking about this morning. And this is uh, where Elijah goes and does what is probably his greatest work of ministry. Um, And so after he's, he's had his whinge about being the last prophet and God's told him to go back, he comes back and then we have in 1 Kings 19. So Elijah went from there and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. We are not calling her Shaphat either. Okay, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair, meaning he was the youngest son. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him, went back and took the yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. They ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. So here's Elisha in this point, And more, more random stories that go through. But Elisha's here and he's presented with one of the greatest opportunities in the nation. Here is the prophet of the nation, Israel, coming up to him saying, Hey, I'm going to train you and you're going to be my successor. He gets presented with his, with his great opportunity in front of him and sees that, but he does something really, really special. But I just want to speak to and just point out a couple of things that we were talking about this morning when, when God brings out opportunities in our lives, because I recognize a few people weren't in the service this morning, so I just want to just touch on that. When opportunity comes to us, when God does things in our lives, so often it's the case that it's in a time of just immense struggle. It's in a time when things are just going wrong. See, this is a great opportunity. This is, this is just like, well, let's just put it in worldly things. This is like uh, Malcolm Turnbull coming up and go, I just want to train you up to be the next prime minister, and you're going to be the next PM. Okay, Matt doesn't like that idea. But um, CEO of BHP comes up to you and goes, you're going to be the next CEO of BHP. I'm going to train you up for that position. In that, someone that's in in a great standing that comes up, I'm going to raise you up to take over from me. Fantastic. There's only one problem with this. Elijah was on the run from the queen. She was trying to kill him. She had armies out looking for him, wanting to kill him. Not the best job when your boss's life is under threat from the king and queen. Not the best place to be in. And yet, in the midst of this, most of us would look at that and go, hey, Elijah, great option. You're dead. They're going to catch you and you're going to die. Uh-uh, goodbye. Thank you very much. I'm out of here. But Elisha went, no, he, he looked beyond the limitation that was on that, saw the opportunity and going, okay, yeah, I'm going to run that. So in the midst of, intense, of intimidating situation comes great opportunity. The other thing is that others won't necessarily... Be excited about it. Often people close to us will try and stop it. Elisha there, it says that he went back and says, hey, I'm going to come with you. Let me just go say goodbye to mum and dad first. I wonder what his parents, we don't get too much else in the story there, but I wonder what his parents actually thought about this situation. I wonder what the other 11 brothers who were driving the other 11 yoke of oxen thought about him running off and, and serving the prophet. No, it's this whole intense thing. I'm going to go off and say goodbye to mum and dad. But then he goes back and burns it. I'm wondering if they were actually that favourable with the idea of him going off and running after Elijah. I wonder, Mate, we have a farm to run here. How am I going to get by with just the other 11? I need you here, work in the farm. I wonder if they were really that excited about him going off. I wonder if the brothers turned around, that's a great idea. We're going to be here sweating off and you can go run off and go, go, just, go just follow this guy and wash his hands every so. Go carry his Bible. I wonder if they were all that excited. See, often people aren't that excited about when we see the opportunity and start running to it. The other thing that he did do is that when opportunity comes, when God presents things in front of us, We start to see how our gifts will fit that. See, Elijah, he was a man, he was a prophet. Elisha knew this. And then as he came up, I'm sure Elisha started to think, hang on a sec, hang on, I'm I'm someone who cares about people. We know he cares about people because he didn't just run off. He wanted to go say goodbye to mum and dad. Not only did that happen, he actually went, and when he cooked the oxen, what did he do? He didn't just throw it away. He went and fed the village. He had a compassion on people. He was a person who liked people, who cared for people. He was a person of mercy and compassion. I'm sure he recognized and went, wow, I actually get to bring the word of God to people. I actually get to bring heaven's anointing into their world. This is fantastic. I can actually see something inside myself that will fit with this. And there's the next bit that often happens. When opportunity arises, we don't just imitate those that have gone before us but we innovate, we do things differently. See, The thing with Elijah and Elisha is Elisha didn't just run off and copy Elijah. We know from the Bible that Elijah, for those that don't know who Elijah was, he was a, he was a man of God, and one of the things he did, the big miracle that he did just before this story is that he hung out, and he, when he began his ministry, he actually said this, it's not going to rain until I say so. Walked up to the king, right into his courts. It's not going to rain until I say so. Pretty bold. Pretty out there. And then all of a sudden, three and a half years later, this whole confrontation happens on top of this mountain where they've got 400 prophets who all dance around cutting themselves, asking their gods to send fire on top of this bull. And he gets down and asks the whole thing to be covered in water. Remember, there's no rain in the land. Water's very scarce. And fire, he just prays, us, God, Lord, reveal yourself, show that you're God and fire comes down over the whole altar, and he shows that he's God, and all the other prophets get slaughtered. And then he runs away in fear because he's going to get killed by the queen because she's angry at this. And, and so this is Elijah. So he, he, Elijah, he brings words of judgment. He started his whole ministry bringing words of judgment. In fact, his whole ministry is around words of judgment. When he acted with kings, you notice there were three kings that, that operated while Elijah was a prophet. They all hated him and wanted to kill him. He did, the Bible records that he did about 14 miracles in his life. Elijah, he prayed for a double portion. He actually did this 28 recorded miracles in the word for him. Now, the other thing with Elisha, though, he, he looked at what Elijah did and went, I'm not going to be like that. So instead of bringing words of judgment, the very first miracle that Elisha Elijah did was the miracle was that the water was causing people to get really sick. And so the first miracle that he did actually brought life to water and said that nobody else is going to die in this village from drinking this water. In fact, his whole life and his whole ministry, where Elijah's was of judgment, Elisha was of compassion and mercy. When he interacted with kings, there were three kings he interacted with, they actually called him friend, counselor, father. They listened to him and wanted his advice and operated with him. If we look at Elijah, he he really brought divisiveness in the nation, We can actually say Elisha actually probably healed the nation in a much greater sense and brought the power of God in there. He didn't just copy Elijah. He innovated and he did it differently and actually saw a greater work of God that came out within that. But what he did know was that when we see the opportunity of God in front of us, there's one thing. We can't just do it on our own. We need God to come and move in that. When Elijah, Elijah, for those that that don't know the story, what happened is Elisha follows him for a while. And runs after him and and washes his hands and learns off him. And coming to the end of Elijah's life, he says, Hey, just wait here. Don't follow me anymore. I'm going to go over there and and my life's going to end. And Elisha goes, No, I'm going to watch you right to the end. I I just want a double portion from you. And so he follows him right to the end. Chariots of fire come down from heaven and take Elijah up to heaven. And then he drops his mantle down. And Elisha picks it up, walks over to the river, Waves it around and whacks the river with it and goes, Where now is the God of Elijah? And the river opens up. So he recognizes that he can't actually take the mantle or operate without God. Even though he's been trained, he sees the opportunity in front of him, but he recognizes there is an absolute need for God in that. And then what's happened is during this time there's this whole school of other prophets. See you know how schools like compete against each other a little bit? that um, you don't like each other. I grew up, I, was, um, I went to Maruchi High, and that was that was our school. There were a few other schools on the Sunshine Coast. There was um, Kiwana Waters. They were just a bunch of losers. And um, you know, the guys out at Caloundra High School, they were just... They were, all the other high schools were just rubbish. Hey? I don't know if you guys actually have, like, that competition spirit against other schools where, like, that school's just terrible. We're the best school. They're rotten. What KC... Calvary and KC have that little thing. You've got the little bit of bush that separates you in the middle and, and just there. And I, I remember all the things. You'd have other schools come and play football against you and sport against you. And you didn't really care about winning. You just wanted to knock the other guy's head off, sort of thing. And so that's what was happening. You had this other school of prophets other than Elijah. Oh, no, that doesn't happen in your basketball teams, does it, Jeff? You train them with a, with a good integrity of how to win and play with dignity. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about all the other schools. No, no. And uh, anyway, there's another another school of prophets going here and they've been bagging out Elisha the whole time, going, oh, where's your master? What's going on? This is all rubbish. And then they see him cross the river and see the water open up in front of them and they go, wow. They recognize God on him and all of a sudden they come on his side. Here's the other thing. When opportunity comes in front of us, it's not until we start winning that people join in. When we start winning, people will start seeing that. And they'll go, oh, great. Even those people that weren't with you, even those people that gave you a hard time and hated, hated you and just didn't think that you were going to make it, they'll come on board because success all of a sudden brings people around you and does that. But there was one thing, and that, I was speaking about that this morning, there's one thing that happens in Elijah's life I just really wanted to talk about this morning you see, it's tonight, isn't it? Yeah, it's evening now. See, Elisha, he saw the opportunity, ran after it, grabbed hold of it and saw God in it. But to do it, he did something even more so. At the beginning of that, he cut off all his connection to his past. When he ran out after Elijah, he went and said goodbye to his parents. We don't know what happened in that situation, but we know something significant happened that he felt the need to actually burn that yoke of oxen to break that you got you got to think about this this is dad's business your parents run a business you've now gone in and destroyed a 12th of all the machinery in that business you've gone in maybe they've got maybe it's a business where they use a whole bunch of computers you've gone in and just smashed up your workstation you've just gone and trashed your office left. That's what Elisha has done. He's gone and and done it. And so you got to think, he's not going back to dad next week and going, hey, I'm home. It didn't work out. Guess what, dad? I went after Elijah. It was a bad idea. He's a crazy fella. I'm back. I don't think dad's going to be too impressed to see him after he killed the oxen Gave all the meat away, didn't even feed the family with it. Gave it away to the people in the village. See, when we take up opportunity, we actually need to cut off the past. I don't know what the things are in your life that might hold you back from actually stepping into what God's got for you. Maybe this year, next year. Maybe it's some of the people that you hang around. Maybe it's some of the things that you watch on TV. Maybe it's some of the things that you do on your phone or your computer. Maybe it's some of the time that you spend playing Candy Crush on your phone. Maybe it's some of the, some of the conversations that you have. Maybe it's some of the things that you're into. Maybe it's, some, maybe it's a workplace. Maybe it's a job that you're connected with and it's just holding you back from the goodness So when I finish school. I moved 120 kilometers south and moved from the Sunshine Coast down to here. I felt the call of God to go to uni, and then I felt the call of God to come and live with Pete. And um, he lived down here, and so that made life easier. For me, I was closer to the uni, and so that was good, but this was the church he came to. And, and I ended up cutting off my past. I ended up cutting off a whole bunch of connections that I'd had, and I started new friendships. I started new connections. I'd got to the point in my Christian walk at that point where... Um, I'd talk the talk a bit, but didn't actually sort of walk it. And people had seen me and looked at me and called me two-faced. And going, "Hey, mate, you talk about Jesus, but do you even know him? Do you even act like him?" And so I made a decision at that point to cut off my past and cut off how I was, and to change and to step into something new, into a new group of people, a new area of people, a new church, new bunch of people around supporting me, a new place of influence in uni of people that I didn't know and that didn't know Jesus to actually step out and cut off a path to take the opportunity in front and to be the person of God and the man of God that I knew he'd called me to be. And, and it was something different and something changed. See, often we want the goodness of God, but we're not prepared to actually give up the things that we need to get it. We often want the things God has for us, but we're not actually prepared to pay the cost for it. Jesus interacted with a whole bunch of people. But there were very few he actually called to come and follow him. There's 12 that we know of. 12 he called, hey, come follow me. And they did, and they left their different things. Peter ended up leaving his boat. We read where he calls Peter and Aaron. They left their boat and went and followed Jesus. And they walked around with him for between one and three years, depending which scholar you listen to and and believe in that time. and, And they followed him. Now, the thing with Peter, though, he left his business. But when we get to the end when Jesus dies on the cross, the first thing Peter does, he goes back to his business. He goes out fishing again. He didn't cut it off. He didn't destroy his boats, but he went fishing again. And guess what? He was really bad at it. He went back out in his fishing boat, went fishing all night and caught no fish. God was not with him in that fishing trip. It took Jesus turning up on the shoreline and calling out to him, hey, here I am, who is that, Jesus? Hey, put your net down this side. All of a sudden, they catch a whole bunch of fish. God just shows that he's with him in his favor and blessing is them. Then they come in, and they, Jesus doesn't say, I want you to start up a fishing business. I want you to be, I, I want to see Peter and Andrews fishing and tackle right here on the Sea of Galilee. You're going to have a multinational fishing business. People are going to come from all over, from Turkey and Rome, to learn how to fish from you, because I'm going to bless you and anoint you in that. No, he says, I want you to go to Jerusalem and stay there and pray. And then we don't read about Peter going fishing ever again, other than what he, Jesus called to him. You once were a fisher, a fisherman, now I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And he starts the church up at that point. And so we know all these people are called. Cool. But then there's another man that's called, that's outside the 12, that Jesus actually goes, I want you to follow me. He came up to Jesus one day and goes, hey, what do I have to do to really get hold of the kingdom? And Jesus looks at him and goes, well, you know the commandments? And he looks back at Jesus. I know the commandments. I've done all of them all the days of my life. I don't want what my neighbor has. You know, I don't use the Lord's name in vain. I keep the Sabbath. I I honor my mother and father. I, I worship God and God alone. I do all these things. And Jesus doesn't even challenge him. And he looks at him and goes, okay then, there's only one thing else. Sell everything you've got. And then come follow me. So what he's saying to him, Cut off your past. Cut off everything that you have access to in this world. Let go of everything that would hold you back and come follow me. And it says the man walked away exceedingly happy. No. it says the man walked away sad because he loved his wealth and he loved all the things that he had. He wasn't prepared to actually pay the cost to follow God, to actually pay the cost to take up the opportunity. I wonder what it is going on in your world with the opportunity in front of you. And I wonder what the cost is for that. I wonder what the oxen are to burn. When uh, There's a whole bunch of people. Uh, there was a few, a few different armies back in the 1500s, uh, 1600s, came over from Europe and invaded Mexico and um, tried to take on the Aztecs. They were aware that there was a whole bunch of gold there and a whole bunch of treasure. We've all heard about like the city of gold, the Incan city of gold and the Aztecs and all the, that. So had. That, so they were just excited about all the conquistadors from Spain. and They were excited about this and wanted to get all this money for them. So they kept coming and they'd send armies and the Aztecs just knew the land and they just kept beating them. And so they'd hop in their boats and leave again. Eventually a man named Cortez came and he sailed and he, he landed his conquistadors there and he, he unloaded his army. Now, before they actually walked into Mexico and into the Aztec land, he turned around, looked at all the boats, and set them on fire. Burn the ships. There's no retreat. There's no way home. The only way you're going to survive is if we win this. And history tells us that they went on, and they were the first army to actually invade and actually actually take hold of the land, and he invaded and conquered Mexico. And that's why this, Mexico has a strong Spanish culture coming through it was because of Cortez. Through there. I wonder what the ships are in your life. What are the ships that you need to burn to actually grab hold of the opportunities that are in front of you? What are the things that you need to cut off and not go back to again? The things that might be holding you back uh, from the goodness and the fullness of what God has got. Father, Lord, we recognize that Lord, things that we look at in our life that, Lord, might be insufficient in our eyes, we recognize, Lord, you often have opportunity around that. And Lord, you've got so many things that are laid out in front of us. Lord, great things that you've got in store for us, even at the end of this year and next year, Lord, and and we might get a bit afraid of them. We might see them as difficult, Lord, but we just want to recognize and ask that you would just enlighten in our spirits those things that are of you and those things that you want us to run at and grab hold of. Father, help us to recognize the opportunities in front of us. Lord, but also right now, Holy Spirit, within that, we just ask that you would just come and speak to our hearts and show us the things that we need to cut off. What are the things we need to let go of? What are the things we need to release from our past? What are the things that we need to, the lifestyles, the decisions, the choices right now that we need to discard from ourselves to actually run forward and to see the fullness? Lord, that we're not tempted to run backwards. We're not tempted to go, oh, if this fails, it's okay, because I've got a way out. Lord, we know that when you give an opportunity in front of us, Lord, that we need to give ourselves and commit ourselves to that purpose. And so, Lord, we just ask you to reveal those things to us. And then we ask for your grace and your mercy and your strength to actually let them go, that we could run to you and run at you. That in Jesus. Song. And, um, uh, and as we do, if you want prayer, maybe there's something in the midst of all that that you want prayer for, um, let's let you pray for that, or just let the Holy Spirit soak in on you what he needs to do and what he wants to do in the midst of all that, but let's just stand and worship and just let the Holy Spirit just have his way and do what he wants to do with us.